Let's fill our hearts in the presence of the Lord this morning. We'll ask God to bless us and God speak to our hearts as we open the, His precious Word to us today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word. Thy Word is truth. We thank Thee today that we believe it with all our hearts, that this is the inspired and fallible Word of God, that though heaven and earth may pass away, that Thy Word shall never pass away. In the midst of all of the uncertainties of this old world in which we're living in, we thank Thee we be sure anchor in Christ for the soul, and we have a sure anchor in the Word, the promises of God to stand upon, to claim. We thank Thee that Thou hast written the last chapter. We thank Thee in Christ we win. And so today, turn our eyes upon the Savior, give us liberty, give us power, even as I come to preach Thy Word. May Christ alone be glorified for Jesus' sake. Amen. Everyone, I think, must agree that we're living in very uncertain times. And as you look across not only our nation, but across the world, there's so many people who are fearful about what lies ahead, the future. And yet, thank God, as we come to God's Word, the Bible says, in reality, there's nothing new under the sun. And down the centuries, God's people have faced difficult and troublesome times. And they always will. The Lord Jesus Christ did not mislead his people. He said to them, in this world, ye shall have tribulation. It didn't stop there. He said, but be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. And as we look at God's word, as we look at our situation today, with all this uncertainty, whether it's a materialistic situation in social society or whether it's constitutional society, there's so much that will depress, discourage the child of God. And yet today, I want us to turn to God's Word and think about something more important. I want us to think about spiritual realities and the spiritual challenges that are facing our wee country, our nation, and the world. I want you to open your Bibles in this chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel, because here we have a very solemn picture Humanly speaking, looking at it, there's nothing but desolation here. It's a scene that certainly is a very depressing one. But for a moment, let me just remind you the setting. What's happening? In 606 BC, the Babylonians began the first of several deportations of the Jews. Daniel and his three friends, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were found in that first group of deportees. In 597 BC, there was a second group of people who were taken, and amongst them was a young man called Ezekiel. And he and his beloved wife were taken, and they were brought to the river of Kibar to Tel Aviv. Now, five years later, in Ezekiel's life, he was called of God at the age of 30 to be a prophet for God at that time. 
Now, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel was a priest. But God has called him now to be a prophet. And these days that we're having here, these were the early years of captivity, and they happened before the destruction of Judah, which happened in 586 B.C. And so whilst Jeremiah was ministering to the Jews back home because they hadn't all left the land in Jerusalem, Ezekiel was preaching to the Jews who were there in the midst of captivity in Babylon. Now, even though Ezekiel was in a distant land of Babylon, God was very near him. Because, my friend, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, God has promised he will never leave his children. He says, Lo, I am with you always. He has said, I will never leave thee, and I will never forsake thee. And so the Spirit of God came upon Jeremiah and, or to Ezekiel, and the Spirit of God revealed to him what was happening in Jerusalem. And then God showed him not only what was happening, but God was going to show him what would happen. Through Jeremiah, the Jews were told to settle down in Babylon because they were going to be there for 70 years. Even though the false prophets amongst the Jewish people were telling them that God was going to destroy Babylon, that God was going to set them free. They said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And so there is today, there are false teachers and there are false preachers that speak a false peace to a people that tell them that in themselves they can find a peace. And yet, the Bible tells us that Christ is our peace. It was Ezekiel's task to tell those in captivity that God was going to destroy their beloved Jerusalem, not Babylon. And that sort of certainly troubled their hearts. But then God revealed to Ezekiel that God, there was coming a day that when God would have a, a day of glorious restoration and there would come again the rebuilding of the temple. Thank God that was something to look forward to. And just as John received on the Isle of Patmos a revelation from God, friend, just as Paul, whenever he was lying in prison, being persecuted for his testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness to the Lord, and God brought a word unto him. So here we find God brings to Ezekiel in Babylon a word from himself. And you'll find there's something that's repeated over and over again. In actual fact, some 50 times. In the book of Ezekiel, it says, The word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel. Isn't it good to have a word from God, friend? Tell me, when was the last time you heard God speaking to your soul? He says, Be still and know that I am God. And have you been still and quiet before the Lord and as you've been meditating upon God's word, you heard the voice of God speaking to your soul and Ezekiel was given a revelation from God in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of this place of, of opposition and persecution. Yet God 
had a word for him. And the word was about Israel and Judah. That God was going to do a work again. That the situation was not hopeless. You know, it was a time whenever Israel and Judah were ruined politically. The situation was hopeless. As far as man was concerned, the enemy had triumphed over God's people. And it seems as if the powers of hell and of evil, they had conquered. And there was no way out and no way of deliverance. But God. I commend a little study in God's Word, those two words in the Scriptures, but God. And friend, you'll be blessed whenever you come, because no matter how difficult the situation is, but God is still on the throne. Somebody asked, where was God in the, whenever in the 9-11? He was where he always is, and where he is today. He's on his throne. And God has still promised to remember his own. You see, in the 36th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, God had told the prophets something. If you go to verse number 22, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for mine own name's sake. He said, verse 23, I will sanctify my name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them, and then the heathen shall know that I am the Lord God. Saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you. Verse 24, and I will take you out from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. That's what God had promised. Is God as good as His Word? Can you depend upon the promise of God? Can you stand upon the promises of God? Thank God, here was a promise. I will take you out from amongst the heathen, and I will gather you out of, the, of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. God says there's going to be a glorious restoration. There's going to be a day of revival again. Three simple things I want to say this morning. First of all, in chapter 37, there's a stirring revelation here. Look at verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. Now, friend, let me tell you, this was not some charismatic lift. This was not some emotional trip that the prophet of God had here down in Babylon. But it says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And that's what every time the preacher comes onto the pulpit, we need the hand of God to be upon us. And as our young men stand in the pulpit, that's my earnest prayer, that the hand of God will come upon them. Whenever the teacher sits in the Sabbath school and seeks to bring the word of God to the children, oh, that the hand of God would be upon them and bless them and bring a word from himself. This was a mighty intervention of God. This was of the Lord. And the hand of the Lord was upon him. And it says, and the hand of the Lord carried me out 
in the Spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. This is not a journey that Ezekiel desired or even of himself took. It was the Spirit of God that set him down. He set him down in a valley, friend. He set him down in a valley of bones. It's not a pretty picture. It wasn't a pleasant scene. It's a picture of desolation. And it says not only was it a a valley of of bones, it says in verse number 2, And he caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley. Here was a valley that was full of many dry bones. And it says in verse 2, They were very dry. What a hopeless situation. Now, why did the Spirit of the Lord carry Ezekiel to such a place? Because, my friend, let me tell you, I believe that the prophet of God had to understand the tragic situation that they were in before God was going to reveal what he was going to do. He had to grasp the need of the hour. And that need, that valley of dry bones that he looked upon, that need had to grip the prophet's heart. And then God was going to come with a message that was going to give him joy in the midst of that desolation. And friend, let me tell you, that's what we need today. We need to get a vision The Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. There are many, even in our congregations, to be quite honest, they they, they just like coming to church. But they do not see that all around us we're living in a land of Ulster. We're living in a nation of the United Kingdom, my friend. And to be honest, spiritually speaking, we're living amidst dry bones. We are living in the midst of an awful situation. There's so much apathy today. There's so much indifference today. And many God's people are happy enough. They're content enough. Preacher, don't wake me. Preacher, let me sleep on. Let me just go through the motions of coming to church because that's what we have always done down the years. But don't wake me up. Don't let me see the need. Because when I see the need and it grips my heart, I might have to do something about it. I might have to do something. And I tell you, my friend, God wants his people to do something. And God needs his people in this day and generation. You and I are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. We can't rest on our laurels. We can't just look back and see what God did in days that were past. How that God moved in this province. How that God stirred amongst our people. And many were coming to God's house. And as they came to God's house, they were excited to come to God's house. My, there was a joy in their hearts. There was a thrill in their soul. They could truly say, I was glad when they said unto me that, let us go into the house of the Lord. And many of God's people say, oh, it's Sunday again. I've got to go to God's house. Friend, where's the excitement? Where's the zeal? Where's the fire that once we had coming to God's house? Have we lost it? 
We sought to bring people into the services because we longed to see them saved. We brought our neighbors and we brought our families and we brought our friends and because we had a desire that God would move upon them and that God would stir them and God would save them and take them and keep them out of hell. But do we do that more anymore? When was the last time that you heard a prayer meeting where tears were being shed genuinely? As mothers cried for the children. Fathers prayed for their sons and daughters that were out in the world. That used to sit in the Sunday school, but they're no longer about anymore. And friend, that's across our churches. That there are many who came through our Sunday schools and they've grown up. And where are they in the Lord's day? They're no longer in God's house. They've no desire for the things of God. But do we care? Are we burdened for them? Do we see what Ezekiel saw? And God took him by the Spirit and he brought him down and he set him down in the midst of that valley and he sensed the need. It was a a vision of desolation. It was a vision of destitution. It was a vision of decay and destruction and devastation. I believe it broke his heart. You know what God said to him? Look at verse 1. Or verse 2. He caused me to pass by them round about. That does not mean that he asked him, just you walk on past. Like in the story of the good smart, no, my friend. Gil, the commentator, says, he made Ezekiel go round about them several times, go among them. Go among what? A valley full of dry bones. And why did he cause him to do that? He wanted Ezekiel to see, to survey the situation as it really was. Let me ask you a question. How do you think it is with our nation today? How do you think we're getting on? I'm talking spiritually, I'm not talking about politically, I'm not talking about financially, I'm talking about spiritually. How do you think we're getting on? Let's be honest. It's a valley of dry bones. I remember as a young preacher at 19 years of age with Dr. Paisley going around the countryside and from then on from mission to mission and mission to mission. And friend, let me tell you, be honest. It wasn't did anyone get saved, it was how many got saved. Spirit of God was moving. Spirit of God was working amongst our people, amongst our nation. And you see, as he walked through that valley, do you realize something's happened here? Something has happened here. What happened to make a valley full of dry bones? It just didn't happen. Friend, let me tell you what happened. There was a battle there. 
And sadly to say, there was, a, there was an army that stood in that valley, and they were slain in the midst of the valley. And whenever they were slain, the enemy walked away. There was a real slaughter here. I want you to notice, he's not looking at skeletons. He's not looking at corpses. He's looking at dry bones scattered across that valley. Skulls. Bones of arms. Boned legs. Bones. But they're not hooked together. They're not connected together in bodies. There's been an absolute slaughter here. And there they lie. But something else happened. You notice it didn't say there was a body or arms lying there. No bones were lying there. It didn't say legs were lying there. No bones were lying there. Because you see, after the slaughter, my friend, what happened? The vultures came and picked off the flesh from off the bones. And not only was this a slaughter, not only was this a disaster, humanly speaking, but the vultures came and sought to take away the flesh, and then the bones, they were stripped, and they lay under the sun, and the sun bleached the bones. The marrow has gone out of them. There's no sign of life. An army has been defeated. And left to rot. But I want you to remember something. That wasn't always that way. Once there stood an army there. Before they were slaughtered. Once there was life there. There was life. There was living people there. Standing in the battle. But now they've fallen. Now they've been scattered in the battle. Now they've been defeated in the battle. One said life, but there's nothing, only death. And is that not true? That there are many people look back over your life, friend, and you remember the days. Listen, when the prayer meeting was called, you were there. Whenever the Sunday morning service was called, you were there. When the Sunday evening service was announced, you were there. Because you had a love and a longing for the things of God. No one could have kept you back. You're filled with zeal for God. Love for your Savior. My Jesus, I love you. And if you love the Lord, you'll fulfill us and keep his commandments. And you'll love his house and you'll love his word and you'll love his people. But there's nothing, only deadness now. I'm sad to say, across our nation, across our land, where once there was prayerfulness, there's prayerlessness. Where once there was excitement and energy and zeal for the things of God, there's deadness. What did Jesus say? What did the Word of God say? You have left your first love. You're not what you used to be. 
Has worldliness come in and stripped you? Because that's what happened. Whenever soldiers were defeated in the battle, the enemies would come and strip everything that was valuable, would strip everything of the bodies, and would lead them to rot. And sad to say, my friend, in many ways the devil has been stripping God's people and just letting them lie there. And deadness and carelessness and worldliness and prayerlessness has stepped up. I have no doubt whatsoever whenever Ezekiel saw the scene, it broke his heart. But now I'm coming to you and me. As we see that scene spiritually in Ulster today, tell me, does it break ours? Does it really break our hearts? Is God saying to us, it's time to arise. It's time to do something. It's time to awake out of your sleep. But notice the serious reckoning here. Verse 3. The Lord said unto Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, what did you notice what he didn't say to him? He didn't say, Ezekiel, can you make those bones live? No, he said, can these bones live? Because you see, Ezekiel had to realize that humanly speaking, this is an impossible situation. And if he'd been answering that question according to the flesh, friend, he would say, God, this is impossible. And let's be honest. Many of God's people are not expecting God to work as he did way back in the early days of the free church. They're not expecting God to save in the fives and the tens in a meeting. And even sometimes in the missions that Dr. Paisley had in the 20s and 30s on one evening. But we're not expecting that. In actual fact, if God was to save a soul, wouldn't you be surprised? We've lost the spirit of expectation. We say, oh God, oh God, intervene, oh God, move. And if God was to do it, we could hardly believe it was happening. And humanly speaking, the answer would have been easy for Ezekiel to say, God, this is impossible. But you notice what Ezekiel said in answer. In verse number three, I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Because you see, my friend, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain and build it. And I thank God for the beautiful meeting houses that God has given us. And I rejoice with you in what God has done for you in this place. But let me tell you, except the Lord come and move by his Holy Spirit, there'll be emptiness. And we'll go through the motions. Except the Lord. And I believe that God was bringing Ezekiel to the place 
We acknowledged of myself, I know the answer is, it's impossible. But not with God. All things are possible if we only believe. And I asked you today, this morning in the service, do you really believe with all your heart that God can send us revival again? I know there are many of God's people who don't believe that. There's some of God's people and all they think is, we're just going to limp home until we get to heaven. Because the days of the stirring of God and the days of revival, they're past. That's over. And in these last days, God's not going to do anything much more. Friend, I do not believe that. I believe that God's still the same. I believe that God has promised me, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and turn from their sin and seek my face, God says, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It's still in the book. It's still the same. And Ezekiel said, God, Lord, thou knowest. And then God said something to Ezekiel. He said to him, verse number four, he says, Ezekiel, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Preach unto those bones. You see, if I, you saw somebody standing preaching to a skeleton, you say that man needs either a doctor or the police come quick because he's a danger to society, preaching to skeletons. God says to him, Ezekiel, you preach the word of the Lord to those dry bones scattered everywhere. You say, that's a fool job. Let me tell you, my friend. The world looks upon the preachers, he stands in this pulpit today, preaching the cross of Christ and preaching that God is able to do anything but fail. And they laugh. In the days of Noah, God told Noah to build an ark. They said, what a fool, there's no water. God says, do it, Noah. God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you preach unto those bones. Tell me, what did he do? Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. In other words, I did what God told me to do. Let me tell you, my friend, the result's not my responsibility. I'm accountable to God to do what he tells me. Though man may think it's foolish, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But thank God unto them that believe it is the power of God unto salvation. And so, my friend, Ezekiel preached to those bones. And what did he preach? He said, he preached the word of the Lord. And that's what God said through Paul to Timothy. Preacher, preach the word. Forget about the theories of man. Forget about trying to, the oratory of man. Trying to, to, to make people convinced how how wonderful you are. He says, you preach the word, Timothy. And you preach it in season and preach it out of season. And what was the word? 
Verse 5, thus saith the Lord. God unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and ye shall notice it. I will, and ye shall. Verse 6, I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. I will, says God, and ye shall. Caleb, God, what did Mary say to the disciples? Listen, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's your responsibility. To be a God. Whether a man laughs at you, mocks at you, sneers at you or not. Just do what God has told you to do and let God do the rest. Because what happens thereafter is of the Lord. Very quickly. Notice what happened. He preached unto them. And it says in verse number 7, So as I prophesied, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and there was a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And behold, I beheld, and lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. What happened? The Bible says that bone came together, bone to his bone. Notice that. You see, there had been, been people. People had stood as an army here. But their bones had been scattered everywhere. The vultures had taken and ripped the, the, the flesh of the bones and were taken to another part. But let me what happened, my friend. When God moved, it says there was a noise and there was a shaking. And then the bones began to move and the whiz passed each other. Not in confusion. No bone to his bone. In other words, they come back to the original body. Though they were scattered everywhere. Bone came back to his bone. You say, how did it happen? How could they know where to, what bone to come back to? Let me say, God made them in the first place and put them together. God could do it again. And God brought it together. People, you know, say to me, how did Noah get the animals into the ark? How did he get them to come two by two into the ark? My, he must have spent an awful time. And what confusion there must have been getting his family to go out and, and bring those animals to get them two by two, just two by two, into the earth. How did he do it? Let me tell you how he did it, friend. Noah didn't bring them into the ark. It was God brought them in. It was God that brought them in. Noah had to build the ark, make the provision that God had told him, and then God was going to do the miracle. And God brought the animals into the ark, unto Noah. And then God shut the door. And bone came to its bones. Notice how it happened. Noah didn't take the flesh and then squeeze the bones under the flesh and then bring the muscles and sinews above. No, no, no. Listen. It says, behold, the sinews and the flesh came upon those bones and then the skin covered them above. 
In other words, everything was done decently and in order. And that's how God does it. But then there's a problem. There's no breath. All you have now is bodies. Used to be nothing only bones, but now there's bodies. But no life. And then God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy unto the wind, verse 9, and say, Thus saith the Lord God. See, this is all of God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live a supernatural resurrection. See, God wasn't finished. Not only were there's a body here, but just as God breathed into man and he became a living soul, God breathed into these bodies. And they left. And verse 10 says, So I prophesied as he had commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, listen this, and they stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. There's now an army again. This is of God, friend. And that's what we need. We need an intervention of God. Except the Lord build the house, they labor and be in the bed. We need God to come again to our nation. We need God to move in our land again. And thank God, my friend, God says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you came to God's house discouraged and you think that everything is lost, let me tell you, my friend, tell the liar he's a devil. God's still on the throne. We serve a risen Savior, a mighty God who's able to do everything but fail. And the blessing that God brought to our land before, God can do it again if we're willing to go through with him. Go through with God thy vows to pay. Thy life upon the altar lay. The Holy Ghost will do the rest and bring to thee God's very best. And God says, listen, just as I've done it here, God says, I'm going to do it to Israel and Judah. And I'm going to bring them into their own land. And they're going to stand on their feet, take a stand. But they're not going to be defeated. A mighty, great army. And friend, thank God if you take your stand for God today, as our forefathers did, if you're faithful to God, don't be discouraged. But fall on your knees before God. And say, Lord God, the desolation, the destruction, the decay, the devastation, it's all around me. But God, you're still on the throne. I finish. I heard it say this. Look around you and be distressed. Look within you and you'll be depressed. 
but look to God and be at rest. Brethren and sisters, God's still on the throne. He will remember his own, his promise is true. He'll not forget you. Our God's still on the throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess today that our land is barren and dry. And we confess today that of ourselves we can do nothing. For thou hast said in thy precious word, without me ye can do nothing. Help us to realize that we are not fit for this task. And of ourselves we would be like that great army that, 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 that fell in the battle. And we're scattered there in the valley. But our eyes are upon thee. And O oh God, I pray today that thou wilt so energize thy people and fill them with the power of thy Holy Spirit. That they'll stand up in these days in this generation, not I, but Christ. Christ living in and through me. And help us, our God, to go forward in Jesus' name to take ground. Not to lose ground, but to take ground afresh. And help us to stand in the gap. And give us the joy of seeing days of refreshing and blessing again. Help us to believe that. That our God is able to bless us again. Separate us with thy blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to your heart today. And may God stir us fires afresh. There's a great battle. But we have an almighty God. God bless you all.